Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you all, those of you who are on Zoom. Um, it, it's a kind of novel experience, this whole preaching from your bedroom via Zoom thing. Um, but it's nice, actually. Um, at, at one point, we, if you remember early days in lockdown, we were doing this, um, just kind of streaming it. And really, when you were preaching, you had nothing. You had nobody to look at. So uh, I can see some of your faces, which is lovely. Um, but please do remember that also means I can see when you fall asleep. So if I spot you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out publicly this morning if I see you falling asleep. There, there's a little warning in advance. And uh, maybe turn your camera off if you plan on a little nap. Maybe that's the, the technique to go for. And uh, welcome. Good to see you all, those of you who are on YouTube as well. Uh, while we can't see you, I've been keeping an eye on the chat as well. And uh, good to see so many of you engaging uh, with one another and with Jackie, who is hosting that this morning. Um, Jenny's right. Today, I have the, the task of kind of finishing off our teaching series that we've been doing over the past few months now, uh, looking at the book of James, the letter that uh, that James, the half-brother of Jesus, um, wrote. And, uh, and you know what, the, the thing that has struck me more than anything as we've gone through this letter is just how relevant it is to us today. You know, this, this, it's, it's quite remarkable that something written 2,000 years ago just is so relevant to us today in the situation we find ourselves in. That's one of the, the most powerful and beautiful things for me about the Bible, about what we read in the Bible is you, you read it and you don't think, oh, what an ancient, outdated book. For me, having gone through this series in James and just over the past couple of weeks, reflecting on you know, all the different things that, have, that God has brought out for us, I'm struck by how incredibly relevant it is for us in our situation and how much God wants to use this letter to speak to us even now today. Um, so I don't know if you remember this, this was back on the 19th of April that we started uh, this series. John Wilson kicked things off and um, he began by uh, looking at how James encourages believers, those reading his letter, to consider troubles an opportunity for great joy because they produce endurance in us and they are an opportunity for us to grow. How relevant is that? Can you relate to that in recent months? That troubles are an opportunity for great joy and they produce endurance in us. Uh, the, the following week we had Pete Sloan talking us through the challenges of temptation and James's encouragement to patiently endure testing and temptation and reminding us of the nature of God, that, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. Have you experienced any kind of tempting or testing recently? Have Maybe even you've been tempted to call into question the goodness of God in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, next, we had Simon Desborough, who drew out James's message about being doers of the word, not just hearers, and that our, our faith is about knowing God and that this faith leads us to grow in him and that also our faith compels us to action towards others to go. Working out how to put our faith into action during this lockdown has certainly been a challenge, hasn't it? Uh, certainly in terms of that, that outward focus, but it's been amazing. And I've, I've loved seeing and hearing the stories, the creative ways that members of this church have reached out to neighbours during this crisis and continue to do so. Uh, Jenny then took us into chapter two 
highlighting um, James's challenge to, to not judge people by outward appearances, but to see them how God sees them. I mean, this is obviously just completely irrelevant to all of us today, isn't it? None of us ever struggle with the temptation to judge people by outward experiences. I don't, you know, that's maybe the one bit that isn't relevant today. Nathan then brought James's challenge to us to choose a saving, living, fruitful faith rather than a fake and false faith, encouraging us that we're not saved by doing good works, but we're saved by faith and faith alone. That means we get to do these good works. And you know what? 2,000 years later, we, we all still have to do battle with that legalistic nature within us that says that we can earn God's love and favour, that we have to do certain things or be a certain way to be approved by God. We have to still battle that, don't we? After that, we actually took a little break for a few weeks, um, covered some different ground with four different weeks, looking at different topics. And then Rachel picked things up and encouraged us about the power of our words, talking about how the tongue is, is difficult to control and can get us into all kinds of trouble and can hurt people. But our words can also bring about such good for others. Rachel encouraged us to be confident that the world needs to hear our words today. And, you know, in a, in a world that you, you read the news at the moment and the world is wrestling really with this thing of who gets to decide what is free speech and what is hate speech. This is a really interesting dialogue that the world is having, that the, the platforms that are used as a, as a way of communicating with one another, how can they determine what is allowed to be said and what is not? And how do you police that? These are big questions, incredibly relevant to our world today. But what an opportunity in this world wrestling with what's free speech and what's hate speech. What an opportunity for the church to, to be a kind of people who are, who are using our words to build up and to encourage rather than to tear down. It's a harder job, isn't it? It's much easier to tear things down with our words than it is to build things. But we are called to use our words to build up and encourage. Dave then took us into chapter four, um, looking at the, the kind of seeming inevitability that we all have for quarrelling and for falling out. He encouraged us that we need to continually draw near to God and receive his provision of grace because no matter how badly we disagree or mess up in our interactions with others, Dave kept encouraging us, this was his line, that God gives us more grace. There's always more grace. And you know, in recent weeks, let's be honest about this, many of us have had the opportunity to put this into practice when we've found ourselves in disagreement theologically over the issue of male and female leadership roles within the church. This has been an opportunity to put that into practice, to recognise that, God, we need your grace to be able to get on with one another and to be unified as a church, even while we might hold to different views on something and you know what as things start to open up post lockdown with everyone having different attitudes towards risk we're going to need that grace for for one another for those who have a different view about when we should start opening things up as a church other churches are, are kind of ahead of us on this and what they're telling us is this 
can be a very divisive issue actually the decisions around when to open up and what is the right thing to do when and we've got big decisions to make around that and we are going to disagree with other people in the church about the best way forward but we need to have grace for one another and dave brought that out for us didn't it that there's always more grace for us uh, in spite of our differences Jenny then uh, brought out these wealth warnings that James gives to his readers. Uh, Jenny encouraged us to be careful about boasting about wealth, about hoarding wealth, and about exploiting others in the pursuit of wealth. Instead, she encouraged us to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I mean, was, was anybody not challenged <laughs> by the content that week? James really doesn't pull his punches, does he? he? He directly challenges things that within us that can draw us away from our relationship with Jesus. And then last week we had Simon Neary giving us the three wells, encouraging us to receive the grace to wait well when things are rough, to behave well and to speak well when we interact with others. Again, just how relevant are these to our lives right now? It feels like we're all waiting right now, doesn't it? It feels like we're all waiting to get back to some kind of normality. There was a little teaser this week from Boris, wasn't there, about Christmas being normal. Uh, I won't comment too much on that. I think the papers have done that enough. But we're all in a season of waiting here, aren't we? And, you know, given that our normal means of communication have been replaced by a, a digital world, Zoom meetings, phone calls, all the rest of it, it's, it's a real challenge, isn't it, to, to do these interactions well, to speak well. Again, just incredibly relevant. Uh, one commentator I was, I was reading and listening to some stuff this week and one commentator describes this letter that James wrote as a beautifully crafted punch in the gut. <laughs> I thought that's, that's a great summary of the book of James isn't it? Um, when, when you start to look at it, it it's almost the theory behind this book is that uh, this letter was that it was a, a summary of James his, his kind of wisdom that he had collected over the years, probably by studying both the words of his, his half-brother Jesus in particular, the Sermon on the Mount, um, and also the, the, the traditional Hebrew um, book of Proverbs. He kind of collated all of this wisdom and he, he brings it together in a letter for, for believers um, across the world. It's thought-provoking, it's challenging, is these, these kind of 12 different distinct teachings about wholehearted devotion to Jesus. And we've, we've spent uh, many weeks now looking at these together and we come to our final passage today uh, that I have the privilege of just trying to walk us through really and try and pull out what do we believe God might be saying to us as individuals and as a church through this 2000 year old letter. So we're gonna read just kind of, we're gonna go through it verse by verse um, and, uh, and then I'll kind of comment as we go really. So we're in James chapter five, we're gonna start at verse 13. The words should come on um, your screen. Um, I, I, as, as I read this, I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, I know many people use the NIV, the New International Version. For me, I just find I, I'm a simple person and I find the New Living Translation a little bit simpler to kind of read and to scan and to understand. So James 5 verse 13, we're going to begin there. This is what he says. He says, are, 
Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Isn't this the, the reality of Christian life? <laughs> hardships, well, life in general, maybe. Hardships are inevitable. When you give your life to Christ, you don't suddenly become immune to difficulties. You get somebody to walk through them with you, absolutely. But when those hardships come, what are we encouraged to do time and time again when we read the Bible? We're encouraged to bring those challenges to a God who is bigger than them all. We're encouraged to allow these hardships to draw us closer to God by spending time with him in prayer. And what does James say? If you're happy, if you're in that place of happiness, what do you do? You praise God. You thank him for his goodness. We, we read early on, didn't we, in the book of James, and we scanned that again today, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. So when we find ourselves in that place of happiness, what are we encouraged to do by James? We're encouraged to praise him. You know, life, as I thought about this, life is, is full of seasons where sometimes there's a, a dominant theme of kind of difficulty or struggle. And, and other times in life, there, there are seasons where actually there's a, they're marked by real joy. And I don't know, you might be in one of those seasons. You might think, yeah, that's me. I'm definitely in one of those right now. But I think actually, for the most part, most of life, these things are just kind of happening all at the same time. I don't know about you, but my observation is that even in an, an average single day, there can be a whole mix of, of hardship and happiness. We can, we can hit something that's really difficult and then we can be just stopped in our tracks by the beauty of nature. And, and these two things just kind of mingle and become life as we know it, hardship and happiness. Well, what, what do we do with that? James's encouragement to us, his, his, he tells us the right response is to bring all of that to God and to work it through in our relationship with him. At the end of the day, that's what prayer is. You know, prayer isn't necessarily, you know, it is that kind of few minutes we might take to stop and to pause and to kneel or to be before God in quiet, absolutely. But prayer is much more than that as well. Prayer is often just bringing ourselves in our circumstances to God in the context of our relationship with him and working it through, talking it through, listening to what he has to say about the hardship and the happiness that we might be experiencing. Verse 14, uh, kind of pick up the, the, the passage again. This is what James says. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I have to say, um, I'm always up for praying for people who are sick. Um, so are the other elders. If it's not already clear, uh, please do know that you can contact any of us at any time and we will be happy to, to arrange to come around and pray for you. We can even do that under socially kind of distanced protocols at the moment. Um, we are always happy to do that. We don't have the monopoly on praying for the sick in the church. We're all called to do that and we all want to be praying for one another. But just kind of just to be clear and put it out there, if, if you find yourself sick and you want one of the elders to pop round and pray with you and um, then do get in touch and let us know we can't promise that everyone will get healed but we will approach it with faith and we do and have seen many people 
healed. Now, the, the second part of this verse <laughs> takes us into something that it might make you a little bit uneasy, might make you squirm a little bit. Is James really linking sin with sickness? The issue of being, you know, asking for forgiveness, being linked to sickness. Now, you know, is he suggesting that? Is there a direct correlation that sometimes the reason you might be ill is because you have sinned? There's some sin issue in your life that you haven't asked for forgiveness for? Well, now, if we take a step back from these verses, we can see and we know that the, the New Testament is pretty clear on this, that not all sickness is as a result of sin. We, we can't make a direct correlation every time somebody is sick or unwell that it's because they've done something wrong. That is absolutely true and we need to make that clear. But the early church knew that sometimes it is linked. We know, don't we, that we are deeply complex beings and we know that for instance, stuff going on in our thought life can have a profound impact on our physical well-being, right? It, it's not the case in every situation, obviously, but we do want to be open to, to God revealing to us the root cause of sickness that we might be praying about when we're praying for healing. I often find myself, when I'm praying for somebody for healing, I often find myself asking God, so God, would you, would you heal what's at the root of this, actually? Would you show us what is at the root of this? We want to pray for the symptoms, for the pain, absolutely, but we want to get to the bottom of this, and it might be something purely physical that has gone wrong in the body, absolutely, but, but also it might be something else going on here. A, a few months back, twice within a couple of weeks, I was praying for uh, two different individuals who had aching joints. And on both occasions, as we prayed, the, on one occasion it was just me, on another occasion there was a couple of us praying for this person. On both occasions, the person being prayed for felt that God showed them that actually the, the pain that they were feeling in their joints was because of their chronic anger, or you, you might call it kind of bitterness, towards somebody else. This wasn't me kind of projecting something onto these people. This wasn't a, you know, kind of, I didn't even say to them, look, we need to get to the bottom of what's going on here. Maybe there's a sin issue. As we just prayed for healing, quite naturally, both of them at different points said, I believe that the pain and the symptoms I'm experiencing are because I'm, I've got this chronic anger towards somebody else. Now, how interesting is that? The conversation very quickly, you know, we prayed for healing, absolutely, but the conversation very quickly moved to, well, how can, how can you work towards forgiving that person that you are angry towards? Interesting, isn't it? And we know this to be true. We don't want to overhype that, but we want to be open to the possibility of, God, what is, what is at the root of this ill health that this person is experiencing. And James seems to point in that direction to linking these two issues together. Now, what about this command to confess our sins to one another? You know, we, we all know that our prayer life as individuals should involve times of confessing to God what we've done wrong, what we've said wrong, what we've thought wrong, you know, all the ways that we might have fallen short of God's desire for us. 
But when should we confess these sins to others? Should we turn up at Life Group each week having done an audit of our sin and written down every single time we have done or said or thought something wrong and then share that openly with our Life Group? That would make for an interesting Life Group evening, wouldn't it? Maybe we should, should we set up a, a confession booth when we reopen the Gateway Centre and encourage people to come and make uh, a, a regular appointment to confess their sin to somebody hidden behind a curtain? Well, I, when I ask this question, you know, when should we confess sin to others? I always remember what Richard Foster said. I think it was in his book, Celebration of Discipline. He said, look, a, a good guide for this is if you confess your sin to God and you still feel the guilt of it, you're still kind of carrying that guilt, maybe you need to ask a trusted friend to, to kind of meet up and you need to confess it to them and ask them to speak God's forgiveness and his truth over you. Sometimes we find ourselves living with guilt and it can spiral down into shame quite easily where we feel not just kind of bad for the stuff we've done, but we feel bad for, for who we are and, and we start feeling bad for feeling bad. And it's a, it is a downward spiral into shame. We need others. If we're in danger of that, if we're still carrying the guilt of something, even after we've confessed it to God, we need we might need the help of others, a trusted friend to remind us of God's forgiveness. And if you've ever done this, which I'm sure most of you will have done at times in terms of confessing sin to one another, it is an incredibly releasing thing to do, isn't it? It, it feels like we're bringing something out of darkness into the light. And what we know is true is when you bring something that is hidden in darkness, into the light often it, it loses its power over us anyway and just that act of confessing to somebody else can completely release the power of that thing that it might have over us i'm not going to go into specifics for obvious reasons in that there's a whole bunch of kids watching along this morning but if you are struggling with some kind of secret sin you know, some kind of habit or addiction that you can't break. And a good test of whether you are or not is that something just came to mind when I said those words. Maybe, you know, maybe there's something there that needs resolving. Our experience would tell us that you're unlikely to be able to overcome that thing on your own in secret. You're going to need the help of others. You're going to need some brothers or sisters in Christ to hear you confess, to hold you accountable and to help you to overcome those things. Maybe today, one of the things you, you need to do, maybe the Holy Spirit is just reminding you that there's something there that you've been wrestling with for some time and you just need some help with it. Maybe the best thing you could do is send a little message to somebody you trust within the church and just say, can we have a chat and ask me some questions about the stuff I am struggling with? Okay, the next verse, second half of verse 16, says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as, as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now here's an encouragement, right? Elijah, total hero of the Jewish faith, a man of power and a man of prayer. Uh, James points out that, you know, 
this hero of the faith, his, his, his readers would have been well aware of who Elijah was, a total hero of the, the Jewish faith. James goes to the lens to point out he was a human, as in he was just like you and me, but he saw incredible results when he prayed. He even managed to pray for a three-year drought, and then afterwards he prayed for a torrential rainstorm, and it all came. He, he did all of this to try and demonstrate to the people at the time that they needed to turn to God. James is reminding us that that, that prayer isn't just like a ritual we go through or a, or a nicety that we say for somebody when we hear that they're going through a hard time. Oh, I, I'll be praying with you or my thoughts and prayers are with you. No, he reminds us that there is power in prayer, that we pray as people who Jesus has made righteous and we will see wonderful results, miraculous answers to prayer. We can expect those things when we come to God in prayer is there anything that you've been praying for or you're praying for at the moment that you're tempted to give up hope that it'll ever happen is there something you're praying for that actually you oh i just don't know i've been praying for a while on this and i i'm not sure that this is going to happen if so i want to ask you a question i think this might be james with his good old you know beautifully crafted punch to the gut here. James might say this, he might ask you a question. He might say, is that thing that you're praying for bigger than rain not falling for three years straight? <laughs> like, is, is it really bigger than that, than, than asking for a drought for three years? Because that's what he's, you know, that's the example he gives here of how a, a prayer asked in faith can, can result in quite incredible things. I think James would be encouraging you to keep on praying to keep faith in God for the things you're asking for and these uh, last verses here from verse 19 James says this he says my dear brothers and sisters if someone if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is James's final thought to sum up his letter. And the, the interesting thing here is really the entire letter that James has written is about this. It's, it's about him trying to warn people against wandering away from the faith. He's saying, look, if somebody starts to wander, bring them back this is how it works isn't it right we know this from experience it's it's very rare that somebody wakes up one day and says you know what i just don't believe any of it anymore don't believe in god don't believe jesus was a real person don't believe he died for me i'm throwing it all out the window that's a quite a rare thing for that to happen much more often what happens is 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 we we wander bit by bit we we get discouraged life is challenging. We believe a little less about God being in control. We give up a little faith that God can do what he says. We allow bit by bit our doubts to become unbelief. We get discouraged. You know, if you ever see this happening to me, <laughs> I want to invite you to, to challenge me. <laughs> and, and if I 
ever see this in you. I think you can expect me to lovingly challenge you. And I think we can expect that from one another. That if we see one another just beginning to take those steps of wandering away from what is true and what is right, from the, these beautiful truths that we hold to about a God who loves us, about a Jesus who died for us, I think we can expect one another because we're family and we love for one we love one another. We can expect one another to do the right thing and to lovingly try and bring you back, call you back to the God who loves you. We want to be the people who choose not to condemn when somebody starts to walk away or to put up walls or to kind of you know, holy, you've got what is coming for you. We want to be the people who seek to lovingly restore rather than build up walls or judge. I don't know if you remember back at Christmas. Um, it feels a long time ago since Christmas. Um, but we we had uh, in our Christmas carol service, uh, Manton drew together a whole load of different uh, musicians to put together the, the Gateway Orchestra for our Christmas carol service. I was involved in it, absolutely loved it. It was great fun to be a part of. And um, Manton said something along the lines um, of this when he was kind of when we were in a rehearsal he said listen people only remember really the first few bars and the last few bars of a piece of music so don't worry too much about what happens in between them just make sure we start well and make sure we finish well the reality is if if this letter that James has written here is is a bit like a piece of music if we bring that analogy onto this letter in James's first few bars, the first chapter, he, he summarizes all the themes that he's going to cover, how to endure hardship, how to speak with love, how to serve the poor, how to be wholly devoted to God. He brings these themes and he introduces them really well um, to his readers. And then in these final few bars of this piece of music, he focuses his readers on prayer. Just look at how many times in these verses we've covered uh, does he urge us to pray. He says, if you're suffering hardships, pray. If you're happy, praise. If you're sick, ask for prayer. He says prayer heals. He, he encourages us to pray for one another. He says earnest prayer produces wonderful results. He says, look, Elijah prayed and see what happened. He said, look, Elijah prayed again and look what happened again. In these short few verses, James references prayer eight times. <laughs> Do you think he's trying to make a point here? <laughs> this has the feel to me of those, those kind of wonderful sounds of an orchestra reaching their final note in crescendo, beautiful harmony together. What is the final note of James's wonderfully crafted punch in the gut? It's pray. Pray with faith. It's almost as if you might be saying, look, there are going to be hardships. There are going to be trials and temptations. There'll be happiness too. <laughs> Absolutely. You'll disagree. You will fall out with one another. There will be disease and there will be illness. But what do you do in all of these situations? Pray. Praise God. Be prayed for. Pray for each other because God will hear and answer your prayers. It's almost as if his message here could be summed up in the words of Paul when Paul writes to the church in, uh, in Thessaloniki. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 
I think that, that this is what James wants his readers to take away as the final point of his letter. I think this is what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us in this season. In it all, <laughs> bring everything, hardship and happiness, bring it to him in prayer with faith. So let me ask you a question. Let me finish up with a question. How is your prayer life? Are you satisfied with the place that prayer has in your life right now? If so, brilliant, keep going. If not, let me bring you a challenge. What one thing could you do in the next 40 days that you could make a new prayer habit of? What one thing could you do? Is, is there one small change you could make to your daily life that would bring an element, a new additional element of prayer into your life? Maybe it's getting up 10 minutes earlier, making yourself a cup of coffee, sitting in a nice chair and having 10 minutes just to stop, to wait, to pray. Maybe it's turning your radio off on your drive to work or the shops and saying, I'm going to pray instead of listening to the news. Maybe for you, it's saying, you know what, I could do with a bit of exercise as well, given this lockdown situation. I'm going to go out on prayer walk just for 10 minutes every day around the block and back, and I'm going to pray. I don't know what it looks like for you, but if, if for you, you think, you know what, I am not satisfied with my prayer life. <laughs> I, want to, I want to do more praying. Is there one thing you could commit to? Apparently, it takes us 40 days to, to make a habit. What could you do once a day for the next 40 days that will create a habit that might make all the difference for the rest of your life if that becomes something that you, becomes a daily habit for the rest of your life? I don't know what that is for you, but maybe that's something to think about. One thing that you could make a habit of in the next 40 days to increase prayer in your life. So that is the final note in this piece of work in this beautifully crafted punch in the gut James's encouragement to us to pray we're going to spend some time doing that um, in the rest of our service together Jenny is going to lead this through so I'm going to hand back to you now Jenny